0: Richard, Sicily, 1922. I'm holiday. I'm Charity. I'm Christmas Day. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells. Jingle. And now on with the opera. Let joy be unconfined. Let there be dancing in the streets, drinking in the saloons, and necking in the parlor. Hello, everybody! Welcome to another exciting episode of Pillars, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0, where we cover all kinds. I'm, as always, your great white, great white host. Yes. That's going to get us some problems. I am, as always, your host of great white snark, Scotty J. Thank you, Curt. <laughs> <laughs> Bearing bear with me through that one, and joining me is the lovely, twisted Monica. Hi! Oh, God, I feel so bad on that one. And we're done. Right. Thank you for listening. Let's get How many episodes did we make? Oh, we've been doing this for years. This is the first time I really screwed up on my on my intro. Okay, I got what two weeks to go before I get a get a holiday off. So. I guess could be. Oh, yeah. Well, I got a call off next uh, next Thursday. I got to go up to Chicago for a hearing test for new hearing aids. Really? Yeah, so I go to work for two hours and leave, you know? Let's take the day off and then drive up and relax a bit, you know? We create first viewer, right? Except I don't have a Sloan and I don't have a uh a, a camera. You yeah. want to sign up for you want to sign up for Sloan? I'm thinking with the camera. <laughs> oh, I would have dug my cousin. I would have dug Terry or Jeff. No, Jeff was cremated I'd have to throw his box into the campaign into the past. <laughs> Oh, this is my friend Jeff, he, you know, he died last year, we cremated him. he wanted to get out and see the city a little bit. Mm-hmm. Plus, I hmm I actually put the little Google eyes on his, um... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if, uh, I don't know if his wife has him in the box or not, but I, I put the Google eyes on him. Yeah. You know, just kind of, uh... Right, you know, just kind of make it look cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also tired, folks, because I've been dealing with my psychotic father on, uh, Instagram. Before we turned on the mics, I read some of what he said to Monica, and she just shook her head. Yeah, it was brutal. Well, in, in his mind, it's brutal, but... You know. Well, I mean, like, yeah, with you saying being... Right. Love of, like, wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not his favorite child, I didn't pick to live with him, so... There might be a reason for that. Oh, it was, because yeah. uh, I I told him that he was unstable. Yeah. Even the judge said he was unstable. It's pretty fair when the judge is even... Like, yeah, when the judge looks at you and says, sir, you can't take care of yourself without a nine-year-old child. Yeah, you know, you'd think you'd want to clear up your act. It'd be like make you at least think about it. Right, you know. Well he went off on his holy mission. So now now when I hear a deal song holy where I kinda chuckle a little bit. Not to despair Ronnie James Dio, he was an awesome singer. Rainbow in the Dark is still one of my favorites. And Man on the Silver Mountain. But still. Alright, we got a good one for you today. Um this one actually hit me while I was working Monday because I was trying to come up with a show idea this week. And as I was standing there doing some books, I kinda it kinda hit me. Well we cover presidential assassins because they are killers and some of them are not jobs, so they hit two of the three. And no one embodies this more than James Garfield's assassin Charles Gateau. you uh, look like you wanted to add something to that. Oh, well well he, he you know, John looks booth. He was a killer, but he, he wasn't quite a nut job, he was just a fanatic for the South. And then, what was your name, Coslog? Or how the hell do you say his name? McKinley's assassin. Yeah, I'm not sure, I was kind of like, whenever I'm reading a book or whatever, I just kind of, I skipped over that part, so. Um, but, he would say um, he was a an anarchist, so he was a killer, he was not quite a nut job, because I, I know some anarchists to be some good people. Mm-hmm. And then there's a uh, Chapman who tried to kill Reagan. And oh, yeah, that's West well, we were working on the writers a little bit, and I've had on the Remember the Legions podcast. That was listening mm-hmm. to the episode about yeah you know, the assassination. Oh, and yeah, James was listening to it too. So he's like, oh, well, let's have a code, because they had it at the Reagan Library. Oh, nice. Yeah, so. Nice. And then after that one was finished, he wanted to listen about JFK assassination. So, like I was going to get Harvey. I can't deny this kid. No, you can't. Yeah. I mean, Lee Harvey was a killer, but can you call me Harvey a ninja? i just a pansy! <laughs> right. Yeah, so. when you, know, you had Mark Davies... Oh, God! I'm like, see, I'm tired too, folks. Patsy, that's a it. Oh, yeah. See, so you catch that. Well, I did. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank I was, you. I was approving it. So I, don't know. I can't pop my thumb. I can't move my thumb close here, because it pops. Now, so yeah, a self named patsy, so. right? Now, Mark David Chapman. Yeah, he was a little crazy because he did it to get Jodie Foster's attention, and mm-hmm. I just wish I could have been there in prison and revealed Jodie Foster's sexuality to him. Yeah, yeah. Good everybody. yeah. So he really never ever had a chance to. So yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, did Chapman shoot Reagan or and then Hinkley. Yeah, yeah, I know it was Hinckley? Remon. I I keep getting I keep getting yeah. Reagan's Hinckley shot Reagan. Yeah. I shot Rock yeah. Lemon. Yeah. I always get those two confused. I don't know, but um I think Google does. Well, we sleep. If you look at if you put in John Hinkley Jr. says musical artist. yeah, yeah. He, 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 he can say can't, it's hard to Right. Yeah, that musical artists like uh not exactly what the first one I would think. He just got released not too long ago. Yeah, granted unconditional release, yeah. So, a year ago, on the fifteenth. Right. But part of his unconditional release was he couldn't contact the, any member of the Reagan family. I'm like, there's uh, no one left. Yeah, right. Rod and Nancy are dead, so I mean, I'm pretty sure he's good. I don't want to talk to the kids. Yeah, I mean, like the real daughter is. was well, the one son? He had? Ron Jr. Yeah, he tried like, to be a up Yeah, he he turned into a little rat job himself. Right, but what wasn't. I think I remember one seeing him on a TV special, and he said he was Frank Sinatra's love child. I was a, you know, going for my ass. Reagan, but Catherine, she died. He can be dead twenty-two years. But then, right? Uh, oh, oh, yeah, he did have a daughter with uh, with uh, his first wife yeah although I did hear some stories about Nancy back in the Hollywood days that uh she was quite familiar with the casting couch mm-hmm. she had a particular talent that um she was well known for <laughs> uh, her apparently was like, I want to go more of the more family shows. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> so let's get in before I decide to break the family show rule. Charles oh, J. Cateau was born in Freeport, Illinois. I don't even know where Freeport is. I I never this state my whole life and I don't even know where Freeport is. Yeah, that's fine. Ask yes, you to do that, but I don't going to say it's like west or south. Or east or <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not. Well, I mean, it could be eastern part of the state, farther south along the Indiana border. I mean, I'm not far from it myself, but. Mm-hmm. Okay, he was the fourth of six children of Jane August and Luther Wilson-Gateau, whose family was a French Huguenot and ancestry. He moved with his family to Lowe, Wisconsin which is near the Con day Grafton in 1850 and lived until 1855 after his mother died in 1848. Soon after Gatorade his father moved back to Freeport. Now Charles inherited a thousand dollars which is equivalent to 33 grand today from his grandfather as a young man and went to Ann Arbor, Michigan, because why the hell not? To attend the University of Michigan. It's as simple as that. The little Velvet Jones, uh, and you know what he there. Now, due to inadequate academic preparation, he failed the entrance examinations. He crammed in French and Algebra at Ann River High School while receiving numerous letters from his father about his progress, but quick right before completing the program. In June 1860, he joined the Oneida community, the utopian religious sect in Oneida, New York, with which Gateau's father had already had a close affiliation with. Now, according to Brian Lesnick of the Atlantic, Gateau worshipped the group's founder, John Henry Noyes, 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 oh, Noyes, writing that he had perfect, entire, and absolute confidence in him in all things. Now, despite the group marriage aspects of the Omidah of the community, the was generally rejected during his five years there, and his nickname turned into a play on words to create the nickname Charles. Get out! and you can get laid with a fistful of dollars at a hooker convention. I wonder if him and Phil have something... To... Nah, nah, I've seen Phil give somebody the walk of shame once, so... Yeah, i seen her in broad daylight, she knew... And, and he had to know to get on me by some of the women I was with. Hey, at least you know... I may have been embarrassed to take them in the public, but they could put a serious dent in a in a buffet. Well, I'm, I'm talking about women who nowadays could be on uh, my 600 pound life. I was a chubby chaser for a while. <laughs> she looked like you wanted to say something. <laughs> Hey, if you do right, you get waffles in the morning. He left the community twice, because, you know, once just wasn't enough. The first time he went to Hoboken, New Jersey, hey, where are you? Maybe, kinda. Oh, up by, uh, Jersey City and, uh, Atlantic City? New York. Damn. Yeah, and attempted to start a newspaper based on the Omeda religion called the Daily Theo- Theocrat. This failed and he returned to Omeda only to leave again and file lawsuits against Noise, in which he demanded payment for the work he had supposedly performed on behalf of the community. Guiteau's embarrassed father wrote letters in support of Noise, who considered Guiteau irresponsible and insane. The so Hoboken's about two and a half hours. How far? Two and a half hours. Day trip. Yeah, like New Jersey, is like, well New York is Hoboken to like New York City twenty minutes, so yeah. <laughs> <A little> further. <laughs> you know, looking at it on the map you wouldn't think New Jersey was all that big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, currently, sort of the way to Pennsylvania. It could be like a good, like, over, forget, like, six hours. To, well, yeah, there's a it's across the state. And in six hours, from here to north, and a little bit east, it could be New England. So, when you can think about it that way. <laughs> I'd you could probably transverse in a half an hour. But, well, not quite that much, but yeah, they 45 okay. we minutes. Five hours to Rhode Island. Five hours west, you're still in Pennsylvania. So yeah, they went out that way. Not sure how big it is. So. Okay, continue with the guy. Oh, it's <laughs> Yeah, newspaper. Yeah, I was, um, you picking up. Oh, that, okay. My bad. So sorry. <laughs> he worked as a clerk at a Chicago law firm and passed a cursory examination to obtain admission to the bar. He was not successful as a lawyer I Arguing only one case in court, and the bulk of his business was in no bill collecting. Yep, I w- um. Did he wake it up? It's a big thing. You could you could just take like I mean you could take like a, a an early exam. Get to the He says he argued only one case in court, and the bulk of his business was in bill collecting. But if he argued only one case, and he won that case, that's still 100%. You're right. So, let's say it that way. In 1869, he met and married a librarian, Annie Bunn. She later detailed his dishonest dealings, describing how he would keep disproportionate amounts from his collections and rarely give the money to his clients. Yeah, it's kind of... Well, rough. like some lawyers do that today still, too, but then... Oh, yeah. To hide it, but... In 1872, Gattel and his wife moved to New York City, one step ahead of bill collectors and dissatisfied clients. Gattel took an interest in politics... Stalker right there identifying with the Democratic Party. In the 1872 presidential election, he supported Horace Greeley, the liberal Republican and Democratic candidate against the incumbent Republican Ulysses S. Grant. Gattaro prepared a disorganized speech in support of Greeley, which he delivered once. Greeley was barely defeated all because of that speech. But during the campaign, Gattel became convinced that if Grover won, he would appoint Gattel as minister or ambassador to Chile. Gattel was physically abusive with his wife. When she wanted a divorce in 1874, he obliged by having sex with a prostitute who then testified to his infidelity. Turning back to religion, Gattel published a book on the subject called The Truth which was almost entirely plagiarized from the work of noise. By 1875, Guterium's father had become convinced that his son was possessed by Satan. Conversely, Guterium himself became increasingly convinced that his actions were divinely inspired, and that his destiny was to, quote, preach a new gospel like Paul the Apostle. He wandered from town to town, lecturing to any and all who would listen to his religious ramblings, and in December 1877, he gave a lecture at the Congregational Church in Washington, D.C. Gautam spent the first half of 1880 in Boston, which he left early morning, and under suspicion of theft. On June 11th of 1880, he was a passenger on the F.F. Dunnington, really collided with the ff of Morgan Set no, I, think I might have done it wrong and made in heavy fog near the mouth of the Connecticut River. Dunnyton was able to return to port but Morgan Set burned to the waterline and suffered with significant loss of life. Although none of his fellow passengers on Stoneyton were injured, the incident left Coteau believing that he had been spared for a higher purpose. I just some freak chance of luck. Right, but, you know, Keanu Mason, i instead said it before, dealt with other religious whack jobs. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm so much like my dad. Yeah. It's those interests, and then you turn to politics. But why not? You know, you went to religion, that didn't work, you try politics, you know, you try to find something that works, you know? During the 1880 presidential campaign, the Republican Party was largely split into factions. We had the stalwarts, who was led by Roscoe Conklin, who supported Grant for a third term, and yeah, this is before the uh, the constitutional amendment that limited the president to two. Thank you, FDR. And the half-breeds, who supported James G. Blaine. Cato totally decided to support the stalwarts and wrote a speech in support of Grant called Grant against Hancock. I don't half supported chair. Dwight. are right. I love Bernie! Well, that's what they call me! I love Bernie! Didn't th- Now I've got this image in my head of her wearing, the- had her hair down in front of her wearing a big feathered headdress on a white horse singing half-breed. I think so, yeah. Yeah, you really talking about the Oscar outfit yeah. Well, no, that's what I think the other time I hear the song. Mm-hmm. I mean, it work, someone put a gong up that they hit whenever they make the numbers. So I asked if they were bringing back the gong show. What do they say? What? What's There's a couple people who understood. I'm like, can we get me? Can we get Gene Gene, the dancing machine? <laughs> Dude, I'll be Chuck. I said, I'll go for Chuck Paris. I got the hats. I can act like I'm blacked out on cocaine and part of the CIA. <laughs> sure. Someone did hit the ball one day and I yelled out Gene Gene, the dancing machine. Okay. Okay. Uh, which, revi- which he revised to Garfield against Hancock after Garfield, who really wasn't affiliated with either faction, had won the Republican nomination. Ultimately, the changed little more in the text than switching Grant's name to Garfield's. Speech was delivered at most twice, and printed copies were passed out to members of the Republican National Committee at the summer 1880 meeting in New York. Gateau believed himself to be largely responsible for Garfield's victory over Democrat Winfield Scott Hancock, who is another general and I should for those of you who don't know, Garfield was a general in the Civil War, so was Winfield Scott Hancock. They both served for the same side. Um we, as I was telling Monica before we turned on the mics, so I do believe Garfield was um he served with Rosecrans so when he was on the staff. He might have seen combat at Chickamauga. i, I got to go back and take a look. And, uh, Garfield won that in November. Now, he insisted he should be awarded a consulship, which was the early term for an ambassador. And he wanted uh, He believed that because of his vital assistance in helping Garfield get. I like that he should become a counselor. And first he asked for Vienna, one of the little sausages. Then deciding that he would rather have the one in Paris because hey, it's Paris, beautiful city, city of rights, give him a little get him a little Parisian women. his personal request to Garfield and his cabinet as one of many job seekers. Who lined up every day to see them in person were continually rejected, as were his numerous letters. See, back in those days, you could actually go into the White House and see the president. Not like today. I mean, even me say, even after Lincoln, they yeah. didn't. Kill. It, it took it took McKinley getting killed before the before they decided to put the Secret Service guarding the president. Well, yeah, but I mean, but because you know, I mean, technically, Lakeland was supposed to have yeah. guards, everybody, yeah, there's that. But I mean, that there still wasn't like any guards at the White House or something, you know. At least a doorman, you know, like, hi, welcome to the White House kind of deal. Was it just like That's a, I think there was. I think there was a doorman that, did yeah, it was out. like, hey, what are you here for? I'm looking for a job. Okay, step right to this side, you know. Well, th- I know Lincoln had like certain hours during the day where he could meet people, yeah, really. potential office seekers. So Garfield were, what two presidents out out from Lincoln now, so nothing really changed. Garfield could have had the same hours set up, mm-hmm. but you know if you're like, okay, well you go to the doorman man and you present your card or whatever, and you go on. Charles Gattore, I'm here to seek a consulship and. Yeah, that's what I mean. It wasn't just like a free for all, you know. No, I'm sure there was like someone who was like, uh, that black child is here, I mean. Yeah. Uh, tell him I'm busy. Uh, the person who's busy right now. Okay. Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay, cool. Right, I mean, the secretaries probably handled it. You know, uh, White House staff probably. I'm, I'm sure White House, you know, there was a doorman, a, a butler, or whatever. But, you know, so it, it, it took McKinley dying. It took two, two presidents getting assassinated after Lincoln where they just decided, and maybe we should put a guard around the president. You know, this is a third one we lost. Maybe we should do something here. We have an apartment that's not really doing much anything right now, but uh. It's yeah, so just, like just having an idea out, you know, I'll just, you know. No, I, I would, I'm, I'm sure the cabinet would have been sitting there going, okay, lost we already. Uh, what's the secret service department? Oh, they're probably treasury. What are they going to do? Look for counterfeiters? No, they're protecting the president now. It's, it would give them something more important to do. Okay. by the early days of Garfield's administration, which commenced in March of 1881, the total was living in Washington, D.C., destitute and forced to sneak between living houses without paying for his lodging and meals, and to walk around the cold, snowy city on a threadbare suit, without a coat, hat, or boots. He spent his days in hotel lobbies, reading discarded newspapers to keep track of schedules of Garfield and his cabinet. And making use of the hotel's complimentary stationery to write letters to them, pressing is claim for a consulship. I mean, this also would like print the president's schedule so people can like you know, crazy people like this can see what you're doing. Isn't that the yeah. you know, like with Reggie, which is like how we gonna be at the Hilton or something? I, I, think what, I think with that one they were saying he was going to be here to talk he was going to be at the Hilton for a talk at such and such time and Hinkley I got it right this time I was getting Chapman confused but Hinkley just happened to get outside at a good enough spot where he could catch the president coming out and actually he got a lucky shot off because the ricochet, the one-in-a-million shot, ricocheted off the armor plate in between the gap between the door and that the frame nice spot, yeah. and hit Reagan. Mm-hmm. That is a one-in-a-million shot. And of course, Secret Service was there. They, they surrounded the president through him in the other half kind of tackled the uh, shooter Yeah. I was in the second grade when that happened. I was like a week from being six months old or something. <laughs> I would actually like to go, you know I've said this before, but I would actually like to go to the Reagan Presidential Museum mm-hmm. and just see if my card is there. I guess I should have done that the <laughs> You yeah. might have made appointments and other stuff too, but yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to see if, my, if the card I made... I wish the president... I could be like, oh, they're just sweet. They part to the kids. Okay. Shredder. Well, maybe, we, They uh, we we would die. They we would. Well, bonzo, this is a nice little card. <laughs> we, we did get like a, uh, a, one of those... Um, typed from letters from the White House. Yeah, yeah, That's cool. Oh, yeah, I think my, my second grade teacher kept it. Wait, I would have it too anyway. Oh, yeah, I would have, I would have framed it and hung it on the wall, you know. uh, Yeah. Yeah, cool, uh-huh. clearly. In the spring, Gato was still in Washington, and on May 14, 1881, he once more encountered Blaine, who was now the Secretary of State, and inquired about a counselor appointment. Well, after dealing with this guy from months, Blaine was probably, you know, at his wit's end with dealing with this guy, and he finally snapped, Never speak to me again on the Paris Consulship as long as you live. But you didn't disqualify me. <laughs> He considered himself a loyal Republican and a stalwart and convinced himself that his work for the party had been critical to Garfield's election. Later convinced that Garfield was going to destroy the Republican party by scrapping the patronage system and distraught after his final encounter with Blaine he decided there was only one solution was to remove Garfield and elevate Vice President Chester A. Arthur an alkali of Senator Conkling. The stalwart leader who managed Green's 1880 campaign, and it was not on friendly terms with Garfield. I've heard stories like this where the president and the vice president don't really get along with each other. So they're like, you go to the Senate and just sit there until I meet you. Basically, what they did with Andrew Johnson until Lincoln was assassinated—it's like, oops! When you show up to the inauguration hammered, and you're drunk and slurring during your inauguration speech. If I can go back in time, I would love to hear that that speech. I wonder if you can find it online you're not going to have on there. No, but if I could find a printed copy, I'd read it for, uh, yeah. a, pod- I'd read it for a podcast and smell it. Mm-hmm. It conceded that the President would be too strong to kill with a knife, stating, Garfield would have cursed the life out of me with a single blow of his fist. So he settled on a gun after contemplating what weapon he would use. Guiteau felt that God told him to kill the president. <laughs> I've heard this line before. He felt that such a man could be a removal as opposed to an assassination. Et tu, He also felt that Garfield needed to be killed to rid the Republican Party of Blaine's influence. Now, Borrowing 15 bucks from George Maynard, and he was a relative by marriage, Guiteau set out to purchase a revolver. He knew little about firearms, but believed he would need a large-caliber gun. While shopping at O'Mara's in Washington, he had to choose between a um, .442 rubbery-caliber British bulldog revolver with wooden grips or one with ivory grips. He preferred the one with the ivory because he thought it would look better as a museum exhibit after the assassination. He was not wrong. Hey, what I can imagine him standing there with the clerk going, which one would you like to see better in the museum? Wooden handle or pearl handle? I like the pearl. Well, he could not afford the extra dollar for the ivory grips. Still owner felt bad dropped the price for him. He spent the next few weeks in target practice. The recoil from the revolver almost knocked him on knocked him over the first time he fired it. And then you know you gotta gotta practice. You know you don't want to mess it up. His weapon was recovered after the assassination and given to the Smithsonian, but it has since been lost. Which I, with the amount of stuff that this lost, though, too, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, you know? the more I think about it, as much stuff as the Smithsonian has in its collection, it's a possibility, but I, it, it could have got misplaced years ago. Misplaced as in someone tucked it in their damn pocket and walked out the door, with okay? it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On one occasion, the total trail Garfield to the since the marsh, Baltimore and Potomac railway station, as the president was seeing his wife off to a beach resort in Long Branch, New, Zer- New Jersey. Long Branch close to him? No. I am talking in and- English. <laughs> It's not as close as to um, but an hour and forty six minutes away. Yeah, I was just curious. But he decided to postpone his plan because Garfield's wife Lucretia was in poor health, and he did not want to upset her. So What a gentleman! Same as I right, Why you know? Mm-hmm. Except well, I was with the kids out. Right. That part. Yeah. Oh, God. I still remember when Phil and I did Lee Harvey. Dear honey, if I am to die, please avenge me. And also get some milk. out. And a loaf of bread. And, and that ham that I like. Having been alerted to the president's schedule by a newspaper article because reporters really had nothing else to do, On July 2nd, 1881, he lay in wait for Garfield at the railroad station, getting his shine, pacing and engaging a cab to take him to the station later. As Garfield entered the station, looking forward to a vacation with his wife in Long Branch, Guiteau stepped forward and shot Garfield twice from behind, the second shot piercing the first lumbar vertebrae but missing the spinal cord. As he surrendered to authorities, Cato said, I am a Star Wars of the Star Wars. Arthur is president now. And for an extra bonus, can you guess who was also there at the assassination? Robert Reagan Yes, he was. I, I want to say he was given a cabinet position. He, somehow he knew Garfield. And they weren't trying to depot together. and had another president around that I knew get shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> After a long, painful battle with infections, possibly brought on by his doctors poking and probing the women with unwashed hands and non sterilized instruments. Garfield died on September 19th, 11 weeks after being shot. Modern physicians familiar with the case state that Garfield would have eagerly recovered from his wounds with sterile medical care, which was not common in the United States until a decade later, while Candace Millard argues that Garfield would have survived Cateau's bull wound and his doctor simply left him alone. However, Garfield's biographer Alan Peskin stated that medical malpractice did not contribute to Garfield's death. The inevitable infection and blood poisoning that would ensue from deep wound resulted in damage to local organs and spinal bone fragmentation. Rick a professor of surgery at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey, has argued that starvation also played a role. What chaos suggests Garfield has such a non-lethal wound? In today's world, he would have gone home in a matter of two or three days. Ah, I'm back! Yep. Alright, let's get to work on this budget. A conventional narrative regarding Garfield's post-shooting medical condition was also challenged by Theodore Pappas and Trozad Jahar in a 2013 article in the American Journal of Surgery. We argued that Garfield died from the late rupture of a splenic artery pseudo-aneurysm, woo, which developed secondary to the path of the bone adjacent to the splenic artery. We also argued that the sepsis was actually caused by a post-traumatic acute a calculus. I'm sure before I <laughs> show be this to Talysis. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh post-traumatic acute echo yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Something bad. Based on the autopsy report, the authors speculate that his gallbladder subsequently ruptured, leading to the development of a large bile containing abscess adjacent to the gallbladder. Happens in of Fardy, the gist, this caused a septic decline in Garfield's condition that was visible starting from July 23, 1881. Once Garfield died, the government officially charged Guiteau with murder. He was formally indicted on October 14, 1881 on a charge of murder, which previously had been attempted murder after his arrest. Guiteau yeah, pleaded not guilty to the charge. The trial began in Washington, D.C. on November 17th in the Supreme Court for the District of Columbia, now the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. The presiding judge in the case was Walter Smith Cox. Although Coteau would insist on trying to represent himself during the entire trial, the court appointed Lee Robinson to defend him. In less than a week of trial, Robinson retired from the case. George Scoville then became lead counsel for the defense. While Scoville's legal experience lay in land title examination, he had married Gatuna's sister and was thus obliged to defend him in court when no one else would. No, he's my brother in law. Um, yeah, that's why I got the job. William McVeigh, the U.S. Attorney General, served as the chief prosecutor. McVeigh named five lawyers to the prosecution team. George Corkhill, Walter Davidge, retired judge John K. Porter, Ilya Root, and You Eli who? This is also my name, my kid James. And E. is a trial was one of the first high profile cases in the United States where a defense based on a claim of temporary insanity was considered. Gateau vehemently insisted that while he had been legally insane at the time of the shooting, because God had taken away his free will, of course he did, he was not really medically insane, which was one of the major causes of the rift between him and his defense lawyers. The judge gave the jury instructions based on the Monogton test. The defense hired Edward Charles Spitzcott, who as a psychiatrist was the leading alienist to testify as an expert witness to support an infirmity defense. An alienist is now is an archaic term for a psychiatrist or a psychologist who specializes in, in determining the sanity of a patient for illegal purposes. Now the field of forensic psychology. I still think alienist would cool declare name. Oh, yes it is. Spitzka had stated that it was clear Cato was not only now insane, but that he was never anything else. While on the stand, Spitzka testified that he had no doubt that Cato was both insane and a moral monstrosity. He came to the conclusion that Cato had the insane manner he had so often observed in asylums, adding that Cato was a morbid egotist. <laughs> a few people think of the with a tendency. To misinterpret the real affairs of life. He thought the condition to be the result of a congenital malformation of the brain. Corkill, who is a district of Columbia's district attorney and on, on the prosecuting team, summed up the prosecution's opinion of Cato's insanity defense and in a pretrial press statement that also made public opinion on the issue. He is no more insane than I am. There's nothing of the man about Guiteau. He's a cool, calculating black guard. A polished ruffian, who has gradually prepared himself to pose in this way before the world. He was a deadbeat, pure and simple. Finally, he got tired of the monotony of beating. He wanted excitement of some other kind of notoriety, and well, he got it. The tale became something of a media sensation during the entire trial for his bizarre behavior which, well, kind of, near Charlie Manson which included him frequently cursing and insulting the judge, most of the witnesses, the prosecution, and even his defense team, as well as formatting his testimony in epic poems which he recited at length, and soliciting legal advice from random spectators in the audience via past notes. This is one trial I would have loved to have back and seen. It's not so much a circus outside the courtroom, it's a circus in the courtroom. He dictated an autobiography to the New York Herald, ending it with a personal ad for a Miss Christian lady under 30 years of age. He was oblivious to the American public's hatred of him, even after he was almost assassinated twice himself he frequently smiled and waited at spectators and reporters in and out of the court that head my god why couldn't we? I'm gonna to have seen this I don't think I could have kept a straight face during court George would have had to kick me out for laughing very On. I'm not hearing this is comedy gold. <laughs> now he sent a letter in which he argued that Arthur should set him free because he had just increased Arthur's salary by making him president. You <laughs> can't argue that point. the vice president don't make much. And argued before Cox that Garfield was killed not by the bullets, but by medical malpractice. The doctors killed Garfield? I just shot him. Now, throughout the trial and up until his execution, Gato was housed at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in the southeastern quadrant of Washington, D.C. Um, I just read a book about that, uh, about this hospital, Invisible wounds, about PTSD and some of the war soldiers. A a lot of guys who had PTSD on the federal army in the Civil War. actually spent time there in the hospital trying to get better. While in prison and awaiting execution, he wrote a defense of the assassination he had committed and the account of his own trial, which was published as *The Truth and the Removal*. (laughs) Nice. To the end, Gautel was making plans to start a lecture tour about his perceived eminent release and to run for president himself in 84. I would have voted for him. <laughs> I seriously would have voted for him. If not had been drunk to vote for Gautel, I would have walked into the ballot and been like, fuck, let's vote the crazy man. Remember what happened last time? Yeah, but... We know going into it... Well, we need to, so... Yeah. You want to think you stay with there, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, never mind. <laughs> okay, so he was going to run for president himself in 1884 while at the same time continuing to to delight in the media circus surrounding his trial. He was found guilty on January 25th, 1882, and sentenced to death. After the guilty verdict was read, he stepped forward, despite his lawyer's efforts to tell him to be quiet, and yelled at the jury, saying, You are all little consummate jackasses. Can someone do this in a stage play? I'll I'll go to the fucking theater and see this. Yeah, they, I mean, no, yeah. they did the, um, assassin Yeah, didn't they do Assassins? Yeah, that was like, I don't know, like, probably, oh, like, I, mean, I never saw it, but yeah, we'll Oh, I'm not sure. Something. I had the soundtrack, because I wanted to hear Neil Patrick Harris sing about, uh, John Wilkes Booth. But then, um, Mario Cantone played the guy who tried to assassinate Nixon. I gotta look him up because he sounds like a he sounds like a nut job. Mm-hmm. You still have that today? Um, I actually had it on um, on Yahoo Music. Okay, kudos. Cool. Like, dude, you come down here. You need to like let me so I can put the um yes, Spotify. Okay. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna see this on Spotify. Yeah. I definitely would see it like you too. I really So he called them all low consumer jackasses plus a further string of curses and obscenities before he was taken away by the guards to his cell to wait execution. Gato appealed his conviction, but the appeal was rejected. What? they yeah. No. What are you gonna hear the appeal? Next twenty nine days before his execution, Gateau composed a lengthy poem asserting that God had commanded him to kill Garfield to prevent Blaine's scheming to war with Chile and Peru. Gateau also complained or uh, also claimed in the poem that now president author knew the assassination had saved the United States and that Author's refusal to pardon him was the Basis in gratitude. He also incorrectly presumed that author would pressure the Supreme Court into hearing his court appeal. Gateau was hanged on june 30, eighty two, in the District of Columbia, just two days before the first anniversary of the shooting. While the led to his execution, Gateau was said to have continued to smile and wave at spectators and reporters. He notoriously the danced his way to the gallows and shook hands with his executioner. So this is where I wish there was, you obviously, can't put that uh, the I found it. Assassin's uh, original off-Broadway off cast recording. Well, thank you. And someone named Jonathan Hardery sings the Ballad of Gateau. Ugh. Oh. On the scaffold, he delivered a last prayer, in which he declared that God did inspire the act for which I am now murdered, and predicted that this government and this nation by this act will incur thy eternal enmity, adding that thy divine law of retribution will strike this nation and my murderers. indeed. He also exoriated extor- the author as a coward and an ingrate who is ingratitude to the man that made him and saved his party and land from overthrow, has no parallel in history. It like somebody else, too. Then, as a last request, he decided a poem that I wrote this morning about three o'clock, called I Am Going to the Morning, which he had written during his incarceration. He had originally requested an orchestra reply as he said poem, but this request was denied. Do you know the uh, king, the um, then I want know Scene, I'm just him doing a little dance. I'm going to, Lord, Lord, I'm give yeah. a high school marching band. Yeah. As proud request for the executioner, Guiteau signaled that he was ready to die by dropping the paper. After he finished reading his poem, a black hood was placed over the smiling in head, and moments later the gallery's trap door was sprung, the road breaking his neck and stingy the fall. Cateau's body was not returned to his family as they were unable to afford a private funeral, but was instead autopsied and buried in a corner of the jail yard. Upon his autopsy, it was discovered that Gateau had the condition known as phenosis, an inability to track the foreskin, which at the time was thought to have caused the insanity that led him to assassinate Garfield. God people should have done back then too. With tiny pieces of the hanging rope already being sold as souvenirs to the fascinated public, rumors immediately began to swirl that jail guards planned to dig up Cato's corpse to make demands of his budget market. During scandal, the decision was made to disinter the corpse. The body was sent to the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Maryland, which preserved Cato's brain as well as his enlarged spleen, discovered at autopsy, and bleach the skeleton. These are placed in storage by the museum. Parts of Gatto's brain remain on display in a jar at the Lido Museum in Philadelphia. Nice. Which is also one of James favorites. I have never been there but I want to go there. And I would pass it was like on the same street as my dorm, so every time we go back to the dorm from the house, go play past it and Saying my dad never got there. yeah, he never went, but he wanted to. I mean I I like you seen never go. get there. You no, know, I've seen shows about the muter, but I, I would love to go there. Yeah. Do you want to see Yeah, you you write. <laughs> you do know. I want to see the plaster castle of Chang Yeah, that was cool couple of times at least the not like once so, sort of, um, with Dina from Trusty Yeah, it's an Dina. I mean it, it was I, I like I said I've seen I but yeah, the one I wonder if the if his skeleton's still in the archives at the one in Miller. You assume so hmm. Can I see Charles Guiteau's, uh, skeleton? Yeah, you probably would get, like, who? Because when we went to the archives in Washington, like, my mom, like, asked about the Zapruder camera. Oh, yeah. And I, it was like, huh? Who? Um, yeah, so. I, there's a guy, there's a Facebook friend of mine, he looks at the National Archives, I can ask him. Yeah. Yeah, it was like the you guy know, was like, like, totally kind of gone. You know, he may been a while, but still. Yeah, my friend mainly works with, uh, Civil War records, but I, if I ask him, yeah. like, hey, do you guys have, uh, some camera there? Well, they do. It's like, I mean, yeah. It is there. It's just like, you know, in the storage. Right. Now, I know, um, I, I can do, well, anyone can do research there, but I mean, Historians can do research there. We just gotta take a uh, take a quiz or something. Because mm-hmm. uh, I know I'm thinking that with my uh, with my capstone paper coming up in December, as much as I don't, well, as much as I would love to, I think I'm gonna have to go to DC. October, sometime, and do some research. Ethics. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's something I wanna, there's things dealing you know, with the art, you know, like the Articles of Confederation and other, other stuff my paper I gotta track down, but I'll worry about it when October gets here. Yeah. I'm saying that Garfield's, like you've been to this, the... Uh, yeah. ...Wiles and but only really outside. So... But James and I have been inside. So which is also pretty cool because it's, um... With Garfield, I think, who else? He's in the only one of the presidents whose, um, whose coffin is still visible. Wow. Yeah. You know, like, it wasn't, like, tune. Really, you know? Right. I, I mean, I'll have to go by it. Yeah, because I'm saw- near Cleveland, I'll stop. Yeah, because i got a picture of, I mean, because it's, it's still kind of dark, but i got a picture of James, like, where, you know, the gate for the, the coffin, sorry, well, but, but, yeah, I've seen, um, Thor's coffin, and I've seen, you um, know, Bush's coffin, too, so, not too shabby, Add to the collection, but, yeah, his, um, his mausoleum is awesome, it's like, it's huge, so, I think there's, You've like there in it. Right. I, I mean, I've been. The only presidents I've seen great guys is Lincoln, of course, because I'm in Illinois. Yeah. And Jefferson. Mm hmm. And, and Garfield. Yeah, yeah. But also, i inside. Jefferson was, was nice. Yeah. But it's, it's funny, because like, we've seen all of, like, all of the great regimes at his age has seen all the um assassinated presidents before when we went to the um the hundredth there was twenty for was it had not been twenty one for the hundredth anniversary of the Unknown Soldier. Mm. So I mm, as this yeah, twenty twenty one we so he was Eight years old. We had seen, except for Lincoln, he had seen all of the assassinated presidents because we didn't see the when in his thirteen weeks. Obviously, we like, oh, yeah, I, I did see Kennedy's at um, Arlington. Yeah. I keep forgetting I saw Kennedy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry, no longer. I was by Lexington, Virginia, I could have been by. And seen um, Stonewall Jackson's grave. And then we, we were going to do Crime Con in Nashville, but then yeah, they canceled because we were going to see Polk. Because he was like right there, too. Yeah. And then he was like, the Andy Jackson, not me. Yeah. Uh, I think he's is he at the hermitage. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah, also, I. Um, I would like to get out in the uh, summer. I was also going to go see. Because this is like you know, like oh, go see folk and and Donna Summer, of course. because that's how I did. Because she's in Nashville area also. I uh, know Alex and I was just, Alex was just updating me on the uh the people who went down to the Titanic. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't make it. Yeah, that's kinda of what it was now. I, mean, I, I I didn't when it was like three o'clock they had which until are no time. They had a um, news conference. That's when we were, we were picking James up and I was at work. On um, the radio. Oh yeah, so but yeah it's like an implosion. It's like, and they're 1,600 yeah. from the Titanic. And I'm like, well, those into it crashing to it. Like, to disintegrate even more. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, you know? And, but, um, yeah, it was like, kind of, like, a was like, awesome. I'm like, well, it's, so it's it's like, it's like, so they were really, like, they're rich people that basically put themselves into a tin can. Right, I I yeah. think, um, what they're saying, they're, they were saying there are big no safety regulations and yeah. All this but stuff. T- but, yeah. But, like, and it was an off brand game controller. I mean, for the modern. there's no emergency I mean, I guess there's not really any emergency things you can do anyway, you know. But, well that's not done. But, you know, really like, good. Uh, you need that for a guy, you just might as well. You know. yeah. yeah, I think, mean, like, at least have, like, some plan if you're not all the way down there, where, like, you know, 10 feet from the surface and something happens. I mean, we got it! Yeah. Oh, we, club but, club. Yeah, at that point. If you're 10 feet and something happens, you could probably. Right. Like, you just you know, okay, this is what we do. And why would you take a tour of the Titanic? Well, you know, so the fact that. Oh, sorry. There was. You would, would see it on the monitor. It wasn't even. It, you know, a window. You see, i like. If I'm going to look at the Titanic on the monitor, I'm sure that YouTube would see all well, the other videos that there are. Oh, or go find the Titanic museum and visit that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jesus, you know? No, don't build a sub and use a use a sunny, you know, N Nine game controller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> my, son, my son thinks that the angry spirits of the Titanic claim some more victims. this mm-hmm. so, so, is I am see the rich you know, I am, And you know what? I'm not dissuading him from that belief. Mm-hmm. If he wants to think that the English spirits of the Titanic claim some more victims, I'm going to let him do it. Because I, I would probably agree with him. Jack's coming back because, you know, there was a ring on that door for, hi, for him and Rose. Yeah, well, I the think they can say they're, like, not going to try to like, attempt to get them, because, yeah, like, you are just, you know. Well, you, right, they're going to stay down there near the wreck, uh, and imploded. Yeah, so it's, yeah. like, real, real, like, real, they're probably, like, parts here, parts there, but, you know, so it's, like. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're, fish food right now. Yeah. Kind of Kenley, like, you know, I don't know how long it took the people, well... That's a subject for another day, but we're gonna wrap this one up. I uh, know I was just trying to think of like how, with all the microbes and everything down there, how long it would take for them to disintegrate the, the body. Which would be really is Well, again, we can conduct an experiment now. So hey, you know. I would think like the new ones, it wouldn't be as long because they're all, like little, you know, bits and pieces, and right. And some of obviously got hit by, you know, because that's what well, he said like his body was kind of broken up because he probably got hit by either prope- the yeah Luke Stack's when it came down, but they still were really him recognizable, but yeah, for the ones that. Whole-bodied, just frozen, died. You know, taken longer than, you know, pieces open up and everything. Right, but then again, bodies were turning up months later. And that's what I meant, yeah, because you yeah. were a whole so, lot. Yeah, you know, those that stayed up on top kind of floated. I'm, I'm thinking of yeah. a little trapped inside the ship. but uh-huh. then they would sort of whole bodies, though. Right. They would have been whole bodies on the way yeah. down. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, would have been like, you know, here's half your arm, here's half your body. Yeah, we go left. Right. So, yeah, that would de- decompose faster than the whole body. All right. Hey, right, first than <laughs> It is true crime, so. Right. So we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, you know where to find us on your favorite podcasting app, join your Facebook page. Wait and review us, because I really want to know what you think about us. Monica doesn't like me. So, for Kills and Cuts and Jobs 2.0, I'm Scotty J. Say night, Monica. night, Monica.